Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, February 22nd, marks our 62nd program. So my name is Brian Murphy. I'm the Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm, of course, your host for today's program, Case Study, Implementing the Severe Sepsis Bundle. I'm joined today by a familiar co-host that left there, uh, Alan Frady. Just briefly, Alan is an RN, BSN, CCDS, and CCS, and is, the, uh, is a CDI education specialist with us here at HC Pro and Actus. Uh, Alan teaches our CDI boot camps and serves as a subject matter expert. His background includes consulting, uh, 12 years as a coding consultant, two years as a coding director, and six years as a CDI consulting consultant, and he has nursing experience including work as a case manager and in cardiovascular care, and ICU, and telemetry. So welcome back to the program, Alan. Thank you, Brian. All right. And next I'd like to introduce our industry guest on today's program. She's a new face on Actus Radio. Her name is Connie Chappelle. Uh, by background, Connie's an RN, MN, and CLNC and is Risk Management Coordinator for Kansas University Medical Center in Kansas City. Uh, there, Connie's responsible for collaborating with the medical staff to identify opportunities for improvement and to develop, implement, and measure improvement plans. Uh, prior to this present role, she served as Quality Risk and Regulatory Compliance Officer with Belton Regional Medical Center in Belton, Missouri. Uh, she served as a staff nurse to med surge, critical care, and mother and baby pediatric patients. Uh, she's also a former guest lecturer for regional nursing meetings and the Missouri League of Nursing. And I'm pleased to have her on the program, so welcome to the show, Connie. Well, thank you, Brian, and uh, good morning, Alan, and good morning, everybody else in CDI land. All right. So here we go. We will start, as we always do, with a poll question related to today's topic. Um, ask you to pick the choice that best fits your hospital facility or your individual situation. But um, So the question reads, is your CDI department involved with quality, the quality department, in implementing the severe sepsis bundle? Your options are yes, we do so formally. Yes, but maybe CDIs involved informally, like referring cases. Um, no, it's a quality function only. Maybe you don't know, or finally not applicable to your situation. Again, is your CDI department involved quality in implementing the severe sepsis bundle? Uh, yes, on a formal basis. Yes, but maybe informally. Uh, no, it's quality function. Don't know or maybe not applicable to your situation. All right, we're going to go ahead and close this out. We got about three quarters of our um, audience has voted and we will come back of course as we always do to those poll results in a few minutes. All right, so we're here today with Connie Chappelle again. Connie, um, welcome to the program and thanks for being a part of Actus Radio today. You know, I, I thought we could start by maybe having you talk a little bit about 
your role as a risk management coordinator at Kansas University Medical Center. You know, uh, can you maybe talk just about the CDI department, how it looks, and how you work um, with CDI and other departments on sepsis cases? Yes, Brian, thank you. Okay, uh, here at the University of Kansas Health System, we do have a CDI department. Uh, it is extremely active in reviewing records. It's interesting, you know, this is a major academic teaching facility, and uh, however where I came from, it's uh, much smaller hospital, and so CDI's originally thought to go into be working from case management. However, um, quality, where I used to work at, was slowly assuming the role of CDI. Actually, I was going to assume the role of CDI, and um, and it's really important to have uh, the specific role of clinical documentation improvement specialist because so many people wear so many different hats. This needs to be a focus for facilities in in finding opportunities for improvement. Um, we do have, uh, besides the CDI department, we do have a sepsis coordinator. And uh, that sepsis coordinator also does the abstraction for, um, of course, the CMS core measure for sepsis and sepsis bundle compliance. And uh, that um, sepsis coordinator works in quality. And so, you know, as far as this management goes, what I currently do here at the uh, University of Kansas Health System is I review records and looking for, you know, those sepsis patients and more compliant with the sepsis bundle and those kind of things, and then passing that off to um, uh, the quality department, you know, after we do root cause analysis. And then they are the ones that actually develop the action plans and um, take them through completion. Got it. Interesting. Alan, do you want to chime in here? Yes. Uh, Connie, what is the most effective means or criteria you have used to recognize and classify the patient's presentation of sepsis, severe sepsis, and septic shock? I know that both at my uh, previous hospital in Belton and here we actually do run uh, reports, and they're spooled reports, and they can run however often we want them to run, like every four hours. And But basically, those spool reports, they are actually out there, and they're finding the criteria, you know, in patients that are currently being seen here at the hospital. And um, through those spooled reports, we, you know, our sepsis coordinator um, identifies uh, is this patient actually a, a severe sepsis or septic shock patient? If so, then we need to be jumping on making sure that we have that sepsis bundle compliance complete. And so um, that's probably uh, one of the, the best opportunities we have to catch uh, a patient um, that is in our facility in real time. Mm -hmm. Is there any particular criteria that, that you, you see as pretty much a, a, a clear indication? And, and maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the diagnoses with which sepsis you know, should be considered a, you know, as a differential diagnosis, really some of the finer oh, clinical points. I know you've reviewed a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yes, basically the spooled reports uh, we catch lactic acid, okay, and then we catch uh, fever, heart rate, respirations, those kind of things. So, and we actually have several opportunities um, to catch that. We have a system called Theradoc, and I'm not promoting Theradoc. Okay. <laughs> However, um, it's an applica computer application that actually does the same thing specific to uh, our septic patients where, you know, it, it looks at those patients that are coming in and looks at their lactic acid, looks at their diagnosis, you know, did the physician document severe sepsis or septic shock, those kind of criteria that we can actually plug into the application and, the, and then the application um, essentially calls uh, the patient records, you know, looking for that information and if it pops up then it sends us um, an email alert, essentially, or a spool report. Um, some of the things, some of the sepsis or some of the diagnoses that you would think would have um, sepsis associated with it, you know, I mean, definitely those kind of infections, like community acquired infections, um, such as wounds, burns, you know, the, the C. diff that's out there, and the pneumonia. Okay, it's flu season, folks. Uh, and then there are those nosocomial infections, and and I, I mean, on any given day, the CDC says that one in 25 hospital patients have at least one healthcare-associated infection, you know, and, and so those can include like pneumonia, um, central line-associated bloodstream infections, your crabsies, uh, your cauties, your, your uh, uh, catheter-associated UTIs. Um, Let's see now. Of course, you can have nosocomial infections such as C. diff and skin breakdown. You know, pressure ulcers, they are a prime portal for infection. Um, and then, of course, you, there's that physical trauma such as trauma from car accidents um, that, that can be another source of infection. So anytime, you know, I see those diagnoses when I'm reviewing the record, I review the record further to see if maybe we have some sepsis going on here. Does this patient meet sepsis criteria, severe sepsis or septic shock criteria? Right, right. You know, it's interesting you talk about your the, sort of that, I can't remember the name of the program you mentioned, but the, the early detection system you have right. for, for mm -hmm. sepsis. Is that, you, you must have some false positives and readings. Does that occur and, and how do you how do you sort of navigate that process? Absolutely. I mean, and, and again, all, all the system does is, is it, it pulls that information in, like it's a lactic acid. Any lactic acid greater than 2, it's, it's going to flag it and say, hey, this patient has a lactic acid greater than 2. You know, there might be a potential you know, severe sepsis or septic shock here. Then what, then what um, I have to do um, is go and look you know, at the record in real time. Okay, because like I said, Theradoc and, and our spooled reports are in real time. And so then we can pick it up uh, immediately and say, well, no, the reason that this patient's lactic acid is elevated is because liver disease. Okay, that is not, you know, an infection. Um, yesterday I was reviewing a record on a child that came to our ED and he was running a fever. Okay. Uh, however, he did not meet any of the other criteria for for um, sepsis or severe sepsis. 
um, well, sepsis, yes, he had an infection, but uh, he did not have two SIRS, he did not have any organ dysfunction, you know, so therefore there was no severe sepsis there. So, yes, we have false positives, and you know, then, yes, that, that requires eyes on the record, you know, as, as quickly as we can get there, and to determine, again, is this actually sepsis or is this related to liver disease or something like that. Gotcha. Thanks, Connie. Mm -hmm. I uh, have a follow-up question to that. Uh, have you run into situations where you're seeing a discrepancy or, or have you seen a discrepancy between the review that you're doing, say you think it's sepsis but it's not documented or vice versa, sepsis is being documented but when you do your review you don't think it really is. Um, have you seen much of that? Yes. <laughs> Which, uh, again, you know, when, I, when the provider documents severe sepsis or septic shock, you know, even though the patient does not meet criteria, then I say, okay, I mean, they obviously, you know, they have eyes on the patient, they've done their assessment, you know, and, and so once they document that, that severe sepsis and septic shock, then what we have to do is we have to go and see if they did the sepsis bundle, essentially, okay, because, you know, even if they didn't meet the criteria, once you document that severe septic shock, then there are things that need to be done. You know, the repeat lactic acid, if the lactic acid was originally greater than two, the, you know, um, making sure that you get blood cultures prior to the uh, broad spectrum antibiotics, make sure, they, make sure they get broad spectrum antibiotics, okay, and those kind of things. So. But yes, I, I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your recommendations for the, for the new guidelines uh, with regard to sepsis 3 and managing um, all of the new rules coming out from the Surviving Sepsis campaign? As you know, they just basically mm -hmm. released uh, new treatment protocols, which were not incredibly different from the older ones, but there were some modifications. And they seem to be endorsing uh, the sepsis three definition now more and more. What does that mean for your program? Okay, um, not so much for our program because, as you know, we do have to follow the uh, CMS recommendations. Okay. Um, however, I would like to say that um, you know, 83% in general of the sepsis patients they have sepsis present on arrival. Okay. So, and, and sometimes those symptoms are, are nonspecific and secondary to the primary infection. Sepsis can progress rapidly to multiple organ failure and shock, and it's often fatal, unfortunately. So that means that survival is dependent on a high index of suspicion of sepsis, early recognition, and of course, immediate intervention. So what I see these new guidelines, like with the QSOFA, okay, it's, it's really uh, telling you that if this, okay, then then the incident of mortality increases, okay, and so I think with that QSOFA, I think it's going to be really important because, as I said, you know, you got to have that high index of suspicion, you know, in order to get that severe sepsis bundle um, implemented in that in that three hours and in the six hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting times with the diagnosis, and um, I agree that it's requiring some navigation, and, and you do have to follow the 
sepsis guidelines for uh, the SEP1 bundle and all that as well. It uh, makes it Absolutely. makes it tricky. Yeah. It does. I it guess makes it very tricky. Right, right. And now we've gotten a few questions about that, how you're incorporating SEP3, sepsis 3 criteria, et cetera. So, but uh, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll move on with our maybe a, a final question here. You know, for the listener of the program, Connie, working in CDI, wanting to implement a process of greater collaboration with their quality department to improve compliance with the sepsis bundle, severe sepsis bundle, what, what, what is a good starting point? How do you recommend sort of getting that cross-department focus? Okay, so um, one of the things that have worked really well is uh, getting your medical staff on board, having a sepsis champion from your medical staff. I mean, that can be your um, NED provider or, you know, even the med medical director of your ED. It can be the chief of staff. Uh, I was fortunate where I came from. I had both of them on board. Um, they, they do recognize how important it is, you know, to get these patients and get them assessed you know, and as quickly as possible, and then start that bundle, you know, both the three-hour bundle and the six-hour bundle. And so um, you must have, I think, you know, just just a sepsis champion. And I know that we have that here at the University of Kansas Health System. The other thing is not just a, a provider, but also nursing staff. You know, getting somebody, getting a, a champion um, for nursing staff on board. And again, that can be, um, in your ED, uh, as well as as on your units, probably a unit that catches a lot of your ED patients, like one of your ICU units. Uh, ICU units uh, that would that would be important. Uh, the other thing is you've got to have really good data, and and so I think that's where your quality department and your sepsis coordinator and your sepsis abstractor comes in, you know, to make sure that the data that you're putting out there is accurate. Um, and and that you are able to talk to your providers, you know, when they see the data. And I don't know if anybody's had this experience, but sometimes providers think that the data is incorrect. And so you got to be able to show your providers, you know, that you have done due diligence in making sure that you scrub the data, and and that this is the bottom line. And so and plus, you need to have somebody. Uh, on board that knows the guidelines inside and out so that when the provider says, well, the reason that we didn't give 30 cc's of kilograms of uh, fluid, you know, non crystalloid fluid uh, was because the patient is in heart failure. Well, truly there are, the guidelines say that across all genders, all races, you know, and, and diagnoses, if they have um, severe sepsis and septic shock, then the goal of um, the sepsis bundle is is uh, organ uh, function, you know, preventing organ failure. And so, you know, because once they start down that path of organ failure, it is really hard to get those patients back. All right. Well, some great insight here, Connie. Really appreciate it uh, sharing what you what you do and your expertise with this diagnosis. And at this point, Thank I you. will. Um, switch back to our poll, so I'll go ahead and um, pull that back up for our audience again. We asked our members, is your CDI, excuse me, our listeners, is your CDI department involved with quality in implementing the severe sepsis bundle? So grab your pens, but here's the, here's the result. So we had 9% said yes on a formal basis, 
uh, 18% are in their CDI department is involved uh, informally, referring cases, etc. Uh, 50% are, are not. A, they listed as a quality function only. 18% uh, don't know, and 5% not applicable. Again, we had about 740 odd attendees, and that was about 75% of our audience voting. So. Um, Maybe we'll start with you, Connie. Any any thoughts on that? Only nine percent really collaborating formally with their CDI. Eighteen percent informally, and fifty percent it's really a quality function only. Does that surprise you? Any oh, thoughts? I, on that it it does not surprise me. Okay, the reason being is because, um, like I said, I, I reviewed a lot of records and and not just from the hospitals I've worked at, but from other hospitals, and the hospitals are struggling with this. Uh, I think that, you know, not taking this process through the CDI route and including quality and including, you know, even regulatory compliance, uh, I think that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. And so, um, and then what we say, 16% said it was just strictly a quality issue. That's putting a lot on quality, okay, and because and, and, I have worked in quality, and, and so it's, you know, again, you need that that across the board, getting people on board with with you know making sure that we are diagnosing sepsis as quickly as possible, severe sepsis and septic shock, and then providing that that three-hour bundle and that six-hour bundle, um, and actually. You know, some facilities are going to let's get those let's get those antibiotics in, in less than an hour, okay? Because for every hour that you you do not or that you delay um, giving broad spectrum antibiotics, the the risk of mortality increases by almost eight percent. So this is not a as you I think mentioned earlier a silo operation. This is you know many people working uh, to improve the quality of care that's provided to their patients. All right. Alan, any, any comments here before we move on? Yeah, I'm actually surprised that the no it's a quality function is not even higher. I was expecting it to be around maybe 70 to 80 percent or more. I'm, I'm very encouraged by the 27 percent uh, the CDI who are involved. As you know, treatment is becoming a major part of clinical validation. And so one of the things that we're going to be looking at really hard moving forward is uh, did we treat appropriately? Did we get the sepsis, sepsis bundle in? Or when, when was it identified and how fast did we get the sepsis bundle in? I'm sure that's something the auditor is going to be looking at. It's something we're certainly going to start pushing our CDI to look at. So I would like to see those numbers go up even higher as we move forward. Absolutely, right. you know, yeah. because once you get those numbers higher, then you know, you know, you could probably even see improvements in that uh, treatment bundle. Yep. All right, we'll we'll switch gears here to our in the news segment. Again, this is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. So, why not go with this topic? We talked about it on today's show. I actually had meant to broach it on last um, the last edition of Actus Radio. Didn't get to it, but if you haven't seen it, um, you know, there is some recent breaking news on the new sepsis three criteria. As our Actus Radio listeners 
may remember we did a, um, uh, a program on this um, last March. There was an international task force last year published new definitions and criteria for the diagnosis and treatment of sepsis that appeared in the February 2016 journal of the AMA. Um, we had a little news in between then, of some, some commentary from CMS, but that was about it um, until a couple weeks ago when the Surviving Sepsis Campaign moved to adopt Sepsis 3 um, as published by the Society of Critical Care Medicine. So we, we had an article on this on the website by Richard Pinson, who is the author of our pocket guide. Um, you know, there, there is a little debate here over exactly what's happening. You know, he, he certainly read it as a, as a true endorsement, and it certainly looks that way. I, I thought I, what I might do for you all is just pull up the, and, you, and there's a link here you can follow it through. I'll, I'll post this in the show notes at the end of the program, but this is the actual link to the new surviving sepsis guidelines. Um, so I'll pull that up here. If anyone uh, on the call is an ACTUS member and listen to our uh, quarterly conference call we have the membership, we did go over this. I'll cover it again here for our Actus Radio listeners, but uh, worth checking out again. This is the new Surviving Sepsis Campaign updates. And as we can see here um, in the introduction to the paper, this is I think page three of the PDF, you know, they, they call it out right here pretty clearly that sepsis is life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by a dysregulated host response to infection, you know, which is really the sepsis 3 definition, and it's referenced in the paper below. Um, if you follow these, these here are your, are your notes at the bottom. Um, so a pretty solid piece of advice, uh, a pretty solid endorsement of the new sepsis 3 definition. And again, if you go to page 4 here, I'm scrolling down, you will find it here again. They do acknowledge that as these were being developed, the new definitions were published, and is and they again reiterate sepsis is now defined as a life-threatening organ dysfunction. And you know the rest. So, um, again, th th this this does this paper does go on to qualify, however, that um, that this is basically a revision this uh, of the 2012 surviving sepsis guidelines, which used the prior definition. Um, so again, as, as Connie spoke about on the show, you know, uh, hospitals are still mandated to follow that uh, SEP1 bundle, uh, which makes it a tricky navigation at this time. I show this only to, you know, uh, it's, it's an important new piece of um, guidance out there, and it certainly it, it appears to continue to tip the balance in the favor of sepsis 3. I uh, would encourage you all to check this out if you haven't already probably a good discussion point uh, with your medical staff, your CDI departments in terms of the proper capture of, of, of sepsis. Um, so check it out there. Again, if you're, if you're an ACTUS member, you can also access our recent discussion on this subject. I'll also just mention that we have a, a white paper that's going to be coming out soon called Sepsis, uh, Where Are We Now? that was written by Dr. Sam Antonios on our board. So um, that should be coming out within the next couple weeks. Really looking forward to that. It sort of explains all of these changes and, and offers some recommendations for uh, how to work with these definitions. Connie or Alan, any other comment? I know we talked about this a little on the show today, but about the new sur surviving sepsis campaign guidelines and, and the new apparent endorsement of sepsis 3. 
Okay. Well, Alan, I also first. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, oh, that I was just going to say that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll leave. I'll leave you to finish up. I'll just say briefly that I. I think everybody's on board with this definition of sepsis three, but I'm not sure that I fully buy in, and I think a lot of providers providers have not fully bought in to the SOFA criteria itself. It's one thing to to embrace the definition, but the SOFA criteria itself is limiting us to six pieces of data uh, from six body organs, and I'm afraid that a very overstringent adherence to that is going to leave a lot of sepsis um, patients on the table. Connie? Alan, I agree with you completely. It's, it's, you know, I, I think that if it's, if coders adopt, you know, these two self-guidelines when they're reviewing records, I think um, physicians are going to get a lot more queries uh, about, well, do you think this could be a sepsis patient? And so then, um, as I have experienced in the past, uh, physicians, they review those queries and they go, well, yeah, you know, this this is sepsis. Well, then automatically, once it's determined coded as sepsis, then it falls into the abstraction um, uh, audit, and then you know you have the coders that uh, are the abstractors that are struggling to make these patients, you know, meet the severe sepsis, and then of course if they meet the severe sepsis or septic shock, then would we do what we were supposed to do? And so again, like I said, I've reviewed a lot of records, sepsis records, and and you know, people are struggling to get this right. All right. Well thanks again. I'm gonna just wrap up here quickly with a, a brief act update again. This is a regular update bringing folks the latest updates on what's going on inside of Actus. Just wanted to issue a reminder that um, our 10th annual conference is coming up in May. There are the dates. This is May 9th through 12th. Yeah, we're in Las Vegas. Um, important deadline is coming up. You can see here um, we have an early bird uh, special. It's basically $100 off a of retail and Actus members get another $100 off um, for being a member, so it's a total of 200 off the retail price. Uh, that is expiring on March 7th, that early bird. So I would encourage you to take, uh, if you are planning on attending, uh, make sure you make get under the uh, the March 7 deadline. There's the phone number there to call. Um, you know, if you haven't checked out the agenda of the conference, this is just our HC Marketplace page. Um, it's accessible right from the actus.org, but we, we do have the full agenda here. Um, encourage you to check it out. We have uh, you know two and a half days full of uh, education where we are covering sepsis, among other things, among many other uh, pathophys topics. Uh, Dr. Hike is actually going to talk tackle this topic. If you've ever seen Dr. Hike, he's a wonderful presenter. He's going to be talking about this and sort of how it overlaps with some of the recovery auditor activity. Uh, Actus Advisory Board is having a panel there. We're having a uh, auditor from Cotivity, which is will be really interesting. Um, attending the conference, we're going to have um, CDI in the outpatient setting, risk adjustment, post-acute care. Uh, AHIMA will be presenting with us as well. I'm very pleased to have them on the panel. And we also have an CDI expansion track, which covers areas that CDI might not typically be in, like obstetrics, gynecology. It's Etc. So if you haven't checked out the agenda, 
I encourage you to do so, and I encourage you to, to definitely take advantage of that early bird rate, which again is expiring on March 7th. All right, well, that will about do it for today's edition of Actus Radio. Um, just a reminder, we'll be back again here in two weeks, as we always are, for our next topic, and that will be CDI taking the, lead, the leadership. We're going to have a couple guests on who have really climbed the ladder, you know, started out CDI, moved into program management, and have even moved higher up the ladder in their hospitals. And I'm really excited to hear from the two of them, how they did it, and maybe some advice for the folks looking to you know, expand their career in CDI. So that'll again be on uh, Wednesday, March 8th. And again, I just want to thank Connie Chappelle for being on the show today, and Alan, of course. And um, and just as a reminder, if you like today's show, if you have some comments for improvement, you can always send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it for today's edition. We'll see you back here in two weeks, and take care, everyone.